Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. This is not an emergency episode, Danny. This was on the schedule. That's exactly right. Your regularly scheduled programming coming a little bit after practice, right? Yeah, uh, about uh, they wrapped up three hours ago, three a little over three hours ago. Um, the Washington Huskies are practicing football, real live football at Husky Stadium. Michael Penix Jr. has not been practicing as much football with the Huskies, and we'll get to that. I did want to start off, Danny, by asking where where you're at with the the Big Ten news because when we <laughs> left it, you were you were still sad. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are still yeah. sad. And there's reason there's reason to still be sad. But have you has your has your focus shifted toward this football season? Are you starting to to think about what the future might look like? I'm starting to pivot. Um, yes, I would say that I was really sad on Friday. And kind of got progressively more angry over the weekend. On Monday, I was I was really pissy, <laughs> like pissy, and and beginning kind of Tuesday afternoon, I've started to pull out of it. Where it's not my desired outcome. I'm not happy about it. I honestly don't think it's good news for Washington long term, and that's not Washington's fault. There wasn't a better choice here. Um, but I might be wrong. This might turn out to be much better for Washington than I think. And in terms of their financial path forward, I think they, this certainly has the highest ceiling of the options that, that were available. And so I'm starting to, to look toward the season and also just accept the ridiculousness that is college football. <laughs> The ACC, <laughs> the ACC is meeting. They were talking yesterday. I saw an update. They're talking to Stanford and Cal and SMU. <laughs> well, and Joel, and there were also some reports that Notre Dame, as a full voting <laughs> member of the ACC, is pushing for Stanford to be invited. Well, I, I, I could I could tell you who uh, really wants Notre Dame there, and that would be Florida State. <laughs> like somebody else to count. I don't think there's any way Notre Dame accepts an invitation to the ACC. Joel Anderson, who works for Slate, uh, he's been a news reporter, um, and he does Slow Burn, one of their podcast series. Joel was, uh, he was a fo- college football player. He played at TCU. Um, I And I believe when he was, it's either, I think he was 12, but it might be 9. He was the fastest 12-year-old in the country. He won like a national track meet. Wow. But Joel's reaction to the ACC thing, which I thought was hilarious, he's like, what kind of hammered after the club closed kind of meeting do you have to have to start talking about we're going to hook up with Stanford, Cal, and SMU? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. There's some funky stuff that's happening. It's going to be the all-coasts conference. It's insane. That makes no sense at all. Um, did you um, did you see the news that Pat Chun broke today, Washington State's athletic director? No. What did he say? He he indicated that this was the outcome of poor leadership at the Pac-12 level. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to see administrators kind of start to say that part out loud. Like, Lord knows, rep- well, reporters like me. <laughs> <laughs> been hearing that behind the scenes for years yeah. and it kind of reached go. a fever pitch during covid 
and they, they how they couldn't sort out that season and the testing and did Gavin Newsom hadn't heard from the conference and <laughs> the oh it, no it's the it, state of California holding us up and the state of California is like no we don't care just come talk you know it was just a just a total mess and. Wasn't there a uh, point yeah. where Cal was at odds with the Berkeley like Board of Health? Yes. Like the Cal <laughs> The Berkeley Board of Health is the reason why Arizona did not go 0 and twelve in twenty twenty one. And why Cal has the uh the distinction of of supplying the only victory for two different teams in consecutive seasons. <laughs> Oh, they can't blame the Board of Health for losing at Colorado last year. <laughs> yeah, I, the failure of leadership. I mean, it goes back to Tom Hansen. Like this, the conference has not been well led for a while. Um, it was interesting to read. Did you? I, it, I think it's John Orand. I believe is how you say his name from the Sports Business Journal, mm-hmm. and he had the details of kind of the the TikTok, the sequence of offers that the Pac-12 had gotten post-USC-UCLA departure, the most significant piece of news that was there was that ESPN had offered the Pac-12 the same deal that the Big 12 later signed for or was signing for, and the Pac-12 said no. So the the 10 remaining members were like, no, that's not good enough. And that if if you look back, like that was the moment. If they accept that deal, the conference survives. And they didn't. And what played out in the 12 months after that is they never saw an offer that good again. Like it never, it never got better than that moment. And I'm not sure like how much you can say like, oh, it was reckless on the Pac-12's part to turn that down. You can't forecast what's going to happen in an industry like TV, and they're just reacting to the loss of UCLA, USC. But when I read through all those things, I was like, really, like that's that's what happened is the Big 12 locked that deal in. The Pac-12 did not. And it there was never an opening again that, that gave them a viable alternative. At Pac-12 Media Day last year, not every team's AD was there, but there were like four or five who showed up and – we're talking to reporters um, on background or just as a as a as a, a source, right? A Pac-12 AD, and I remember one remark that came out of that was that look, the threat is the Big Ten. The Big Ten is the threat. Nobody's leaving for the Big Twelve, and you know you can stand that up as a as a punchline now a year plus later. But it's. It's funny how the Big 12, not funny, it's it's interesting in light of those comments, how the Big 12 was able to undermine the Pac-12 and essentially deliver two more teams to the Big 10 by its intervention. Yes. Because that I think that was based on the media projections and probably every single thing that their consultants were telling them about the value of the remaining Pac-12 versus the value of the remaining Big 12. And the number of of eyeballs that the pack the remaining Pac twelve teams drew, especially Washington and Oregon, and we've talked about how you know Andy Staples wrote on the Athletic at the time Washington State was a perhaps surprisingly big draw for for people outside of this region who don't understand you know how how entertaining of a product they are. Um, I, I thought that that was legit. There there was always acknowledgement. Like, look, if the Big Ten comes calling, yes, we're going to lose teams to the Big Ten. 
um, but that the, they are the threat, and it's not the Big 12. The Big 12 turned out to be the threat by doing what, what you just described the Pac-12 not doing, jumping the line, taking mm-hmm. that deal from ESPN, sucking up all that cash that apparently there was a limited supply of at Disney for, for sports media rights during this cycle, and making it really hard for the Pac-12 to then come in and ask for more than that, which I think they did, right? Did Orion's story address that, that Klyovkov was asking for, like, north of 40 mil per school per year, right? That's that's correct. When when the Big 12, as the Big 12 locked in their deal, that was that was what... That was what the Pac-12 was was looking for. So getting the deal done, but then just full court press. Colorado's going to leave. Colorado's going to leave. Colorado's going to leave. Arizona's going to leave, too. The four corners, four corners, four corners. And uh, that sent Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten in kind of a a circuitous way. So uh, the Big Ten was the only threat in terms of, like, your two biggest brands leaving the conference for another conference. But the Big 12 was the threat in terms of destabilizing. So it's, it's interesting how that all developed. Yeah, I guess I would say this. I, you're right. I'm not sure it was the Big 12 the threat so much as the erosion of the TV economy, like the broadcasting rights. Mm-hmm. Like that, that pot dried up. And I'm not sure if you gave ESPN on – july 31st their choice of hey you can have the 10 remaining members of the pac-12 or the big 12 for that big 12 conference number i'm not sure that they choose the big 12 they might like there's i'm not gonna sit here and say like hey the pac-12 is clearly the superior product even without usc and ucla i don't know it was but the reality was the number to the Big 12 was already locked in. And I think ESPN looked at it and said, we, we don't have another we don't have another four hundred million dollars a year. We don't have another three hundred million dollars a year to spend on broadcast rights. So, OK, we'll add a couple of the we'll add a couple of these remaining Pac-12 schools uh, to the Big 12. And nobody was there. Nobody stepped up into that void when ESPN didn't make that offer. Yeah, it's. I've seen a lot of people make the point on Twitter that wow, like Oregon, none of Oregon, Washington, um, USC, or UCLA's games are going to air on ESPN. ESPN yeah. fully lost out on the four biggest brands on the West Coast, and part of me, and you know, the implication being, boy, they can't be happy about that. And part of me is like, well, they they chose not to pay at a level that would keep the Pac-12 intact. 100%. But I would imagine ESPN would probably say, well, we were willing to, and if they'd just taken the same deal we offered the Big 12, we would have. And once we gave that deal to the Big 12, the money was not there. We were told by whoever at Disney that we were not to spend more than X more dollars on media rights, sports media rights, and so we couldn't. What were we to do? We're just Disney after all. Small yeah. boutique family-owned corporation. <laughs> I think that's exactly right, Christian. There, oh, we're not worried about not having any of those four West Coast schools. Did you just see the Wall Street Journal where Bob Iger was saying we're not really part of Disney's core business and we might be sold? Did you see 
that our name was just sold for a bunch of sports books? Like, do you have any idea about what's happened? We have bigger fish to fry here. We've got bigger issues than, oh, we don't have any Washington, Oregon, USC, or UCLA on our football docket. Bigger fish to fry. That was part of George Klyovkov's uh, comments at Pac-12 Media Day, too. Why would I worry about about Big 12 poaching? There are bigger fish to fry. We have bigger issues in college athletics that we all need to work no on. No way. Man, Did every, he really say that? Everything he said... I mean, it's it's almost like he did it on purpose, knowing what was coming. It's almost like performance art at this point. That that's not a concern because I know the truth. I know where the where the source of that is coming from, and I think that realign the realignment ends this cycle. This is the cycle where realignment ends. He said that five days before Colorado left, and like two weeks before the entire conference blew up. I mean, I just I can't. I still can't get my head around it. It's as if he just did not have a single clue as to what was really going on in his conference. I'm telling you, man, he was running a bluff. Like he was, that was his table side patter. Like that's what, that's him talking to the rest of the table as he's sitting there holding the cards. Like what me worry? I'm not worried. I, you have no idea that I'm holding seven, nine off suit. Like I'm just fine here for all, you know, I got a pair of aces here. Uh, pocket aces to to run on you and instead he's just getting mopped hasn't gotten a single card on the turn and he's just knows he's dead in the water just absolutely knows it i will say and i'm repeating myself a little bit from last week and we'll we'll move on to to football after this but i i will be interested to see if apple can get a league to a you know a college sports league college football to go for a deal structured like the one they put in front of the Pac-12. I like I totally get why Oregon and Washington thought it was just a no-go at, at right now. I think yeah. it arrived a few two years a few years too early. But I think it's really interesting. I think the structure is really interesting. I wonder if Apple would present an incentive-based structure like that like if would they put that offer in front of the SEC knowing that the SEC would sell millions of subscriptions to apple tv for its product because the numbers that were reported i think the athletic had it as they needed 1.7 million subscribers to get about what the big 12 is getting per school per year that feels really high and like a number that the pac-12 was not going to hit and there's no point even discussing the like excuse me 5 million number that was needed to get 50 million a year like not going to happen, especially at a hundred bucks a year or whatever it's been reported at. But I think the SEC could do that, you know. So I yeah. like at, at what point if the if the the media rights industry, can, the sports media industry continues on this sort of decline or or path away from you know ESPN being able to just buy whatever it wants, could Apple come in and undercut them for SEC rights down the road? Because they're so they're so all in. I can't imagine that they would, you know, that that you know, liquidity or like cash availability would ever be a reason why they'd have to move on from the SEC when it's so important to them. But if Apple's got all the money and ESPN doesn't, and Apple offers some deal where it's like, hey, here's a pretty good guarantee. Plus, look at these incentives. If you're super rabid fans, sign up for this and generate this much more revenue, you could make way more than the Big Ten. I just, I, 
I wonder if if they're prepared to kind of circle back with that type of deal in the future because I, I I'm intrigued by it. I I don't think it was worth signing for Washington and Oregon, but I do think it's an interesting structure. The big trade off for any conference or s- schools that do that is going to be exposure because even if it works out financially for you, you're going to see a decline in the number of people that see your product. Um, I'm most interested in how it would look. Is it going to be something that kids think is cool? Like, is it going to be something that kids use more intuitively than, than adults? Cause if that's the case, it might, if, if it's conducive and could be, can you use the highlights from those games to create social media clips? Is that, mm. is that part of it? Because if it is, then you to, could, right? you, then you could see something. Cause that's, I'm going off of what Michael Crow said when he called it a 23rd century Star Trek thing. Is it possible that Michael Crow had not heard of Apple before but this I, deal? But, but when I heard it, I was like, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And then he said it's digitized, and I'm like, digital? Like that's pretty much everything on your freaking phone. Like there's not there's not analog technology on your phone, but. If it's Apple, it's got to be like what he's talking about. It sounds like I'd like to see what it is. Um, if if it was compatible with social media or with other sort of forms of electronic communication that 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 teens use, you might not have to worry as much about the visibility for recruiting purposes. If the Pac-12 takes that deal, my biggest fear as a Washington fan and as a Pac-12 fan is that you're like, holy crap, Washington, Oregon isn't on TV. Mm-hmm. That that game is not on ABC. How how are you going to recruit against the Big Ten and the SEC, which each has its own basic network backing it? Like that would be brutal. That might be different the next time around. I'm I'm genuinely curious to see how that how that develops. Um whether there's a zombie Pac twelve in which like a bunch of Big West teams move into the Pac-12 or the big the the Mountain West rebrands itself however that works if they ended up with the Apple deal I'm really curious to see what it looks like there's a chance that uh that Apple just owns ESPN by then anyway right and that's been speculated yeah so who knows (laughs) yeah who knows there is it is a wide open world right now in that economy can you the, the thought that that any merger or expansion or whatever from the mountain West with, with the four left behind pac 12 schools, the thought that like there's, there seems to be some insistence on trying to resurrect the pac 12 brand. So I've thought a lot about that. I don't get that. Yeah. I kind of feel so my, my initial reaction when I saw it um, and I'm trying to think of, I want to give credit to the person who was, and I, I'm not going to remember who it was, was basically saying that it might be sort of a, a relaunch in which the, the Mountain West, I think it was Brian, I think it was Brian Floyd um, who said it, where the Mountain West basically becomes the Pac-12. Like it's not a merger, but that it bears the name. My initial reaction was like, okay, I'd, I'd kind of like to see something carried on. And then later I was like, no, I, I, think, I think the Pac, whatever number, I think that should be a West Coast conference of elite schools. Like I don't I don't think you can have a a pack dash whatever without Washington, Oregon, USC and UCLA. Like I I 
I don't I don't think it it works. Um I might be wrong about that because I'm I'm not convinced that the whole consolidation that's happened is going to stick. Like I think we might see a reversion. Um and it would be weird. Wouldn't it be weird if there's a situation where Washington and Oregon aren't in the Big 10 but also then weren't in the pack whatever because that was the de facto Mountain West? Like that would be even weirder. Yeah. It's just literally an entirely new conference. Yeah, I just think it's like, a, it's a little odd. Like, I don't know if if ten Enron employees broke off and tried to start their own company and were insistent on keeping the Enron brand. <laughs> That's another thing. Is it is the pack toxic at this point? <laughs> it just God, reeks of ineptitude. <laughs> what a mess! Complete fiasco. Uh, I have a question for you. What does it mean to go bear hunting with a switch? I had to look that up. Um, <laughs> as soon as that came out of William Inge's mouth, I was like, "That isn't that's a new one." I never heard that. I believe it is. I believe it is a a southern term, um, and it boils down to like that person is so large and imposing, uh, just just their person, just in size and strength that they could successfully hunt a bear with only a switch. Okay. So like okay. Th- that person could go bear hunting with a switch rather than a gun. He doesn't need to be armed to take on a bear. Okay. Yes. That makes a little more sense. That makes a little more sense. Cause what I was like, when I first read it, I was like, God, you would not want to go bear hunting with a switch. That sounds like sending a person out into the wilderness of like, good luck. We'll see if you come back. And instead, it's like, no, man, this guy's so rough and tumble and ready to go that we're not worried about him being unarmed against a bear. Yeah, that's and and um, in terms of sheer size, I think uh, Ulumo'o, which, by the way, he gave us a, a pronouncer. I'd gone through the whole last year. After he 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 switched from MJ, his nickname, pronouncing it Ulumu, he he told us it's Ulumo'o. So Ulumo'o Ale um, is is one guy who you'd look at and say, okay, if there's one guy in this team who could go go bear hunting with a switch, it's it's him. Um, he's uh, he's down to 318 pounds. He came into okay. school at 362 as an offensive guard and is now. Six six three eighteen in the middle of that D line, and it, it it sure seems like they want him next to Thule, uh to start. And obviously, Fatui Tuatele has played a bunch and gives them veteran experience in the rotation. And they like the Parker twins. And Jacob Bandis is in his fifth year. And kind of like I wrote, it's uh, it's sort of quietly become a position of of pretty decent depth for them if the, if those guys can stay healthy. They're they're very high on the Parker twins. Um, they were very very pleased with themselves that they kind of pulled them from Detroit, from the Detroit area with, without a lot of other schools in on them. They kind of felt like they were hidden gems. Javon Parker played last year as a true freshman. They've been really excited about Armand, but he's, he's coming off an injury, but it looks like he's healthy now. And so I think they, uh, they're, they're sort of, I think, cautiously optimistic that that could actually be a, a strength for them in the interior D line this year. Are they both the same size? Like I, I'm always fascinated by twins on sports teams because, like, do they play different roles? Do they have different talents? Like, how does that actually work? Or are they basically clones of each other? Uh, they're both six three. Armon is listed as as ten pounds heavier, three oh seven, with Javon at two ninety seven. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna love watching the twins play with Ale. You said that he cut out Slurpees. That was one of the things, and is is slimming down from 360 to where he's at 318. That was one of the dietary adjustments that he made. Yes, yes. I I've always loved a good Slurpee. Like I've I, I've I've thought the Slurpee is one of the superior food creations uh, Hard of to go the past with fifty a years. Yeah, it's it, it is it is a tasty beverage. Um, Michael Penix Jr. has not participated in any eleven on eleven periods. The last three practices, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have each gone out of their way to say, "Hey, I know what it looks like. Trust us. Everything's fine. He's okay." His arm's a little sore. He threw a lot the first couple days. We're just being cautious. No reason to risk anything. And the the part that's unsaid, but that I think is understood, is he's a sixth-year senior. You all saw him play last year. He's played in basically the same offense his entire college career. He's through with these receivers all summer. Um, If ever a quarterback did not need the reps, it's Michael Penix Jr. in this offense this year. But when you see him just standing there not doing anything and so much is riding on that left arm for the Huskies season, you see a little bit, you know, I could see a little bit of concern cropping up. But the coaches seem very unconcerned, uh, very insistent that he's just resting. It's just a precaution. If they had to play, he'd absolutely play. And they like the fact that this is giving Austin Mack, their true freshman signee, a chance to, to run the number two offense. Are you familiar with, I believe he's referred to as late kick Josh? Uh, Josh, Josh Pate. Is it Pate? Is that uh, how you say it? I always, I always assumed it was. I guess I've never actually heard it said. I, I, I like to call him Pate. A little fancier pronunciation. Josh I assume Pate. because the show is called Late Kick that it's it rhymes <laughs> with late, but I, perhaps I'm wrong. <laughs> That's a much more solid rationale for me than, than than mine, which is I'm sure he's fancy, so it's pate. <laughs> Here is late kick Josh talking about what the rest for Michael Penix has meant for the Huskies' new quarterback. Washington's in a good place when it comes to quarterback. You may think to yourself, yeah, that's not breaking news. I know. They got Penix Jr. back this year. Yes, they do. Did you know that Michael Penix Jr.'s so comfortable in the system up there, they just give him scheduled off days, like load management in fall camp for Washington. Well, that is the case. And I think one happened yesterday. You know what that meant up there? That meant they got to watch Austin Mack, and they got to watch 6'6", 210 pounds, former four-star from Folsom, California. They got to watch him slinging around up there a little bit. Now, he was the number uh, 73 overall player in the cycle, 2024 cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, he's new. Um, Inconsistent is something that you hear with a lot of newcomers, and that's what they've said about him so far. But they also are quick to point out, yeah, the intangibles, we'll see. The tangibles got like a Joe Milton arm on him. Don't tell Joe Milton I said that, please. But got an absolute cannon on him. So, So athletically, there are very few who rival him. Also, you forget Dylan Morris is up there, too, another former four-star. So Washington's in a really good position at quarterback, and a lot of people consider Austin Mack the quarterback of the future. And, hey, on load management rest day for Michael Penix, they even get to see him up there. Pretty spot on. Um, supposed to still yes. be a senior in high school, and most people listening to this know that. But um, he which, not just, which is not just supposed to be a senior, but just recently turned 17. It's wild. 
Was it a surprise that he reclassified? Uh, it was one that there was a lot of like chatter around. Um, and that if you asked people at Washington for a long time, it was like, well, like he's probably going to stay 2024, but we'll see. And it was, there was, it was trending toward him coming early. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of value in him spending a season around Michael Penix Jr. Um, For sure. And Dylan Morris, right? I mean, it's two vets who are, you know, have very strong reputations there internally for their work ethic and going about their business in a very professional way. So I think for him to be in that room and see both of those guys work and how seriously they take it and how Penix commands the team and, um, you know, I think that can only help. And I, they, it's kind of sounds like they want, they want Austin Mack to be their number three quarterback this year, which I was a little surprised by. I kind of thought they brought in Alex Johnson, the, the Juco walk on who, uh, is from Seattle. He looked, he looked okay in spring. I mean, he looked like a, a potential number three option for them. Um, I kind of thought they brought him in with the idea that, yeah, you'll have the three scholarship quarterbacks, but Austin Mack's going to be a 17-year-old who should still be in high school. You don't want him playing under any circumstance. Keep it, Let him learn. Keep him close to things. Let him feel like part of it. But, you know, get, get another third guy in there so that if it does come to that, you don't have to potentially burn his red shirt. But... It sounds like he could be their, their number three guy. Ryan Grubb talked today, too, about, you know, during the recruiting process and when they were talking about him potentially reclassifying, there was a lot of, you know, hey, we want him to come be a part of this. We want him to come and, and travel to road games. We want him to come and, like, you know, be part of the discussion at quarterback more so than, like, running the scout team, let's say. So I think they probably did want to get a good look at him during camp. And there's not, you know, the reality is there's just not really a lot of time to give reps to the number three offense or the number three defense, um, such as it is. You know, anytime you say it's the threes, there's probably some guys out there who also take reps with the twos, right? It's not. So I think, you know, giving him a chance to run the number two offense, he's playing behind offensive linemen who are probably going to play some this year. He's throwing to receivers who are probably going to play some this year. He's commanding an offense of guys who have been in college for two, three, four years. So I think he'll benefit from just being around that. And, you know, watching him these last few practices, you, you, you can see that he's young. You know, there's been some, there's been a couple interceptions. There's been a lot of sacks. We always put sacks in quotes because they're not actually sacks. They're not actually hitting the quarterback, <laughs> but a lot of plays that would have been sacks if they were live. And, you know, he, he learning when to bail out of the pocket and when to stand in there. And, you know, that those are all field things that are co- that are going to come with time. But uh, like Josh said on that clip he played, he's you can see the tools. You can see the arm. It, it's His ball looks kind of effortless at times. He, he can flick that wrist, and he's all of every single bit of 6'6". He's a big guy. Um, I, I don't know that you'd, you'd ever say he's a, he's a runner, but he's mobile. You've seen him navigate the pocket okay a couple times. That's you know that's going to be a point of emphasis for him going forward. But yeah, I mean, I think based on like what's realistic for a guy his age this early in in his very first college camp, um, I think they've been pretty impressed with him. Ryan Grubb, you know, it, that guy doesn't mince words or, or put on you know put on shine. He uh, he he came away pretty impressed these these last few days. How have things looked at running back? 
Are you getting a sense of of how they're they're seeing guys or potential rotations there? I think it's TBD because Dylan Johnson's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Grubb had mentioned the other day that you know he he probably tried to come back too soon in the spring off of some injuries he'd had at Mississippi State, and it it set him back. And so I think they're being really careful with him, bringing him back slowly. He's 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 out there. He got in. I think he had a carry with the first team today, maybe. Um, but it hasn't been more than like two or three carries, and he's got a pass here or there. Um, but it did seem like um, maybe Tuesday more so than Wednesday, he was doing a little bit more. Like they're, okay, adding just a little bit, adding just a little bit. Really, it's been Cam Davis, and that's been consistent since spring. Cam Davis with the ones and a lot of Will Nixon with the twos. Um, and it, it's you know, it's easy to forget because Wayne Talapapa and Cam Davis kind of wound up being the pretty established one too last year. But at least early in camp last year, it looked like Will Nixon was going to be the number two. He was getting a lot of run behind Wayne Talapapa. Um, Cam Davis came on and, and, you know, carved out a role for himself, obviously scored 13 touchdowns, but um, he's bigger. He's stronger. DeBoer's talked a lot about that. Talked a little with him after today's practice and he's another guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. So, We'll see. I mean, I they like his progress, but they really like Dylan Johnson's upside and what his ceiling could be. And I just think if he gets back healthy, it's going to be really hard to keep him off the field. And there's no way that Cam Davis isn't going to play a lot. So if Cam Davis and Dylan Johnson are getting a lot of carries, I don't know that there's a lot left for anybody else, but it does seem like Will Nixon is at least kind of you know, he's he's giving them enough that I think they'd feel comfortable rolling with him if, if that's what the depth dictated. I'm not sure how good a job I've done explaining IP McFarland, Ian McFarland's company. I like as as far as accountability goes, like this might be partly my fault of not making the proper pitch, and I say that because Ian's question this week, he's kind of taking matters into his own hands. So I'm feeling a little self-conscious, like I haven't adequately described to people the value that he brings, talking with Ian brings, if you're looking for sales solutions. But I also want to deliver for for Ian. So I'm also excited, hopefully, him taking the message straight to the people will give people a better understanding of what it is you can get when you go to ipmcfarland.com. We don't offer a lot of guarantees at IP McFarland Company. Um, It's difficult to do as a sales consultancy. So whether we're representing you um, in a a licensing situation, we don't know whether we can control that or not. Or if we're we're doing staff aug for some of your senior, senior leadership, we we don't know what happens in the rest of the organization that affects that person's role. Our results are good, but we can't guarantee it. But now we will give you a guarantee. We guarantee that we will position your company better and negotiate better on your behalf than George Klyavkov has for the PAC 12 etch it in stone. I will sign in blood. We will exceed that bar. You're welcome. As far as my question this week, uh, we're about three weeks away from actual football and not having to talk about some of this other stuff. When I sit down into my seat in the South stands on September 2nd, and I look out at some hideous blue uniforms 
on the other side. What am I going to see that's materially different on the University of Washington side relative to the team we saw beat Texas in December? The starting 22 was pretty clear, as you've laid out, Christian. So what's the change? Is there change? And and what can we expect with actual football? Guys, have a good week. Hopefully all this stuff is behind us. Go dogs. Well, so I, I'm pretty sure the sign in blood was a reference to Arizona President Robert Robbins, who said that they the presidents showed up to the Friday morning ready to sign the grant of rights in blood at the same press conference where he compared the Apple deal to selling candy bars in Little League. So the the messaging was a little bit mixed there. That dude, like there are some people that come out of this looking particularly bad. He's pretty high on the list. Like, I think that guy's a flim flam man. Like, I think he says whatever he thinks you want to hear. I, I And I've, I, I've never talked to the guy. I don't know him from Adam. But watching the migration of his position and how strongly he was an advocate for it, and then Colorado leaves, he's like, I've always said once we get a deal, then everybody has to make a decision based on their own interest. I'm like, you have not always said that. <laughs> that's, that's not what you've always said. Um, which brings me to my next point. How long do you think it will be before you learn the names of the Big Ten presidents? And do you hope that it's never? (laughs) Yes, I do. I've learned all of them I'm going to learn. That's it. No more. Oh, you didn't used to have to know these things. Um, No! To answer Ian's question, look, I think that the Alamo Bowl defense was probably the best that they looked all year, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, against a Texas team that was missing its best offensive players, and they had some drops that on, on long pass plays that should have been explosives, one of which maybe should have been a touchdown. But I thought they tackled really well. So I guess what I would say is you want the offense to, to execute on maybe an even higher level. There was some stuff there where it kind of had a little bit of a slow start after the trick play to start it out, and, um, you know, Romo Dunze uncharacteristically dropped a, a touchdown pass on a slant that, that Penix put right on his hands. You know, you want to clean those things up. You don't want to miss those opportunities. But I would just say, you know, maybe the the next step um, in terms of tackling, and I will say, so I was actually just rewatching the highlights the other day, and I think it was Texas's first touchdown. It was like a screen to the right side, maybe 25 or 30 yards or so. And uh, Cam Bright, I think, was in like, looked like pretty good position to make a play and just straight overran and didn't even get a hand on the guy. And I think there might have been a couple other guys um, who also looked like they weren't, you know, they they knew where they were supposed to be and and just didn't make the play. I think defensively, you're looking for a lot less of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, guys who can actually affect the ball. We've talked about that a lot in the secondary, right? Not getting not getting beat deep, not letting guys behind you. So, I mean, I, I think they showed a lot of progress defensively in that game. I think they looked like a team that took the break, that took the, the time off and the practice time and all that and really did apply um, and, and, and use that time to, to shore up some of the things that had troubled them all year. So... I think you're looking for the next step there, and yeah, you're looking for the offense to to execute at at, at whatever higher level is needed to score more than 40 points per game. 
because that's that's where they were at last year. And talking to some of these guys, I'll probably write this soon, but they they really think that last year was just like a first step. You know, um, I don't think that they look at last season as the standard for them offensively. I think they look at it as like Jalen McMillan has said, scratching the surface, and that there's a lot more to them. That's going to be really. It's hard for me to imagine an offense functioning better than that offense last year. That's not to say they can't do it or they won't be better or can't be more efficient. That offense was really good last year. That's one yeah. of the best Husky offenses that I can remember watching. It was, um, it, the numbers say so, but also just visually. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, there's something to be said, I guess. Like if you're, if you're pro style, quote unquote, and you're committed to that and you're really good at it and, you know, you can, you can rush for over 300 yards a game and maybe have like a couple different hundred yard rushers. Like there's something to be said for, for just knocking dudes backwards for seven yards a pop for sure. I can get behind that. That's old school football. That can be fun. But you know, when you've got a, a quarterback who can throw for over 4,000 yards and 30 some touchdowns and a couple thousand yard receivers, and you know, there's three or four receivers um, who any given game could go for a hundred, like, I think most people would agree that's the most that's the most visually pleasing style of offensive football. And that's what they saw last year and all those guys are back. So, you know, a lot of what a lot of what um I've asked a few guys like, hey, you know, Jalen McMillan did have that quote to Pro Football Focus about, yeah, it was just scratching the surface last year. Like what do you what do you think that means and do you agree with that? And the answer that comes back is, well, that was the first year in the system for everybody but but Michael Penix. And that's a pretty important guy to be in his, you know, fifth year in the system. But, you know, every, everyone else now has a closer understanding of all of the intricacies of the system to what Penix has. Um, and, you know, I think they, I think they just, they, they feel like, you know, there's new plays and there's wrinkles and there's, you're going to see some stuff that, that you didn't see last year. And so the, uh, the confidence level on that side of the ball is about as high as it can be right now, I think. Well, it's, it's a more talented group of receivers, right? Because they didn't lose anybody except for Taj Davis, who's a really good player. But the reason he moved on is because he kind of saw that I, my playing time's not going to increase next year. He's not. It's not going to not going to get get more. And the group that they have there, not just the top three, but the guys that you go when you go down four or five and six. It's not just Polk, McMillan, and Adunze because they've got depth there. It's a pretty impressive group. Yeah, Denzel Boston is a name I mean, that just keeps coming up every day. And you, he makes plays. You ask guys, hey, who's standing out out here? He's one of the first that comes to mind. He's bigger. Uh, coaches have talked about how he's faster downfield than they probably anticipated. Um, he's a big play guy. He can use his frame to go up and and get contested contested passes so um they've you know it's it's hard to it's just hard to imagine how they could be set up better other than maybe like transplanting last year's a whole offensive line to this year just to to recreate you know only giving up seven sacks or whatever but hey who knows maybe they'll be better this year who's to who's to say nobody saw that coming last year either so that is true did you see any of what uh greg sankey said uh, on on Feinbaum on Tuesday, yes, um, I I think that that is some of the most disingenuous crap of what he's saying of expressing regret for this 
Because if you're looking for the triggering event, it's the SEC going and getting Texas and Oklahoma. Like that's that's what started this for he, for him to say, "Oh, it's unfortunate." It's like, no, man. Like you, you're the one that triggered. Like you were the asteroid that ended up. If this is an extinction level event, you were the asteroid. Um, yeah, I I don't like Sankey in general, and I have a general hostility toward the SEC. But I thought that was pretty disingenuous. Uh, Stephen Godfrey had a good tweet about it. Did you see it? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Greg Sankey just denied ESPN's influence in annexing Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC on ESPN's <laughs> SEC network. <laughs> Very credulous, so brave, what a leader, etc. Yeah. Uh, that says it all right there. Like, that's... And, look, I'm not going to sit here and say it's bad business i don't know how tv works and and i don't but the two tv networks espn and fox are the ones that have sort of triggered this reorganization by the volume of money that they're offering to conferences which have then sought to constitute themselves into the most attractive configurations possible it's been happening I mean, you can trace it back to Boston College leaving to the ACC, which doesn't really make much geographic sense. Like, it's been going on for 20 years, and it's now reached sort of a, a peak point, and one of the big ones bit the dust, and it was our conference. And and that sucks. But, yeah, for Sankey to then pretend that he's like, whoa, yo, this is just one of those things that's happened. No, like, you guys, you, 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 guys, you guys were one of the triggering forces here, the triggering force, in fact. He also made a remark about how playoff expansion to 12 teams was about involving the west again the the implication being and, and not even an implication really just a statement of fact that the west coast can't get teams into a four-team playoff field and so you know basically like expanding to 12 was doing the the pac-12 a favor which i guess it was and also granting automatic spots to the the top six conference champions it'll be interesting to see how they sort that out there's no way that that's going to continue to persist whether the and perhaps especially if the mountain west and pac-12 merge and and want to say that that they're still a an autonomous five conference i'd like to see them retain all those rights but there's no chance that the sec and big 10 are going to let that happen i would like to propose that with this reconstituted the two mega conferences that we institute a process of relegation. If you finish last place in your in the conference, like if if you're the worst team in the conference, you have to play the best team from a lesser conference in a bowl game. Loser gets the spot in the good conference, the better conference, or sorry, winner gets the spot in the better conference. Loser goes to the lower conference. I'm Vandy and Northwestern and all these other schools that aren't really good shouldn't be in perpetuity in the good conferences if we're creating this tiered level. That's all. That's I, I really believe that. I think that uh, I think people could get behind that. Unfortunately, we just had a round of relegation about a week ago. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, good news. We are now at 201 ratings on apple podcasts we crossed the magical 200 threshold really? we we still have our five-star rating i want to this is this is funny i, I want to read this one um some some reviews have been left which we certainly appreciate 
Although one of them, I raised my eyebrow a little bit. So on Thursday, user Sainted9 wrote, Danny and Christian are great together. Keeps you up to date on the goings-on at Montlake. Just doing my part to get these guys to 205 stars. And then a smiley face. Thank you, Sainted9. However, I fear that Sainted9's thumb may have slipped because Sainted9 only gave us a two-star rating. <laughs> accompanying this very nice comment. I'd love to see what what would be written if it were a five-star. Goodness, because that sounds like a five-star review to me. I'm going to I'm going to appeal to to Apple. <laughs> Clearly, the attention was five stars our ratings being negatively affected. In all seriousness, thank you for the kind words. Saint did nine. If there's any way you could go in there, maybe slide that, slide that on three more to the right. Just stars, do, do, do. stars matter. Stars matter. Uh, if you want to be like Sainted Nine, go ahead and leave us a leave us a review. Rate the podcast on Apple. Rate the podcast on Spotify. Uh, it helps people find it, and it certainly helps our egos. I would say more so than anything. Really, more our egos. Really. We say that it's so people can find it, but it's actually just so we can feel good about ourselves and validated by our listenership. Especially because I was so pissy earlier this week. Well, you had reason to be pissy. Eh, it was a it was a, it was a pissy kind of week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Washington's practices are going to be mostly closed the rest of the way. There's a couple that are open, uh, but still a lot of a lot of uh media availability, a lot of coaches and players to be interviewed and stories to be written. So keep it tuned to onmontlake.com. I thought Danny uh wrote a really interesting column on his site today on the dang apostrophe about um a professional decision back in was it 2002 uh to to take a job covering the Seattle Sonics rather than a job covering the UW football team and some of the the emotional forces that went into that out and encourage people to, to check that out. Um, I don't That's know. You got anything nice else you say, No, I appreciate it. And also make sure to read on montlake.com so you can find out what happens when you go hunting, bear hunting with a switch. Indeed. We'll talk to you next week.